you have your Bibles with you this morning, let's talk about that. You may not like all of this, but let's talk about that, okay? We need to locate ourselves spiritually, all of us do. Don't want anybody to wander through life not sure about this or about that. Like a prophet of old said, why halt you between two opinions? And that's what the world's full of, opinions, philosophies, the way I see it. And yet there's a plain, clear word of what God says. Now, we want us to get on God's side and not the other side, but that's a choice you have to make. And I think God sends his spirit to the church to make clear what God says. That doesn't mean you'll choose it. It doesn't mean you'll go along with it, but God sends his word to make clear to us the way he wants us to live. So if you have a Bible, Deuteronomy chapter 7 and Exodus chapter 15. And we'll look at Exodus first, and then we'll come back to Deuteronomy. Exodus chapter 15 and verse 23. Now I'm going to mark up here with healing. I'm going to put a question mark on the end of it like that. And I do that because it suggests that there is an uncertainty in the church about the certainty or the sureness of healing, at least as you've been taught. So little of it actually seems to have happened so much that we want to happen doesn't seem to happen. We've buried too many people that we say it didn't work for, that now there's a question mark. At the end of the word, we don't deny the Bible teaches it. We don't deny that God does it and that Jesus' ministry was full of it. We don't deny that. We can read that. We're just not certain and sure as a church or maybe individually as people, because it is a, it's not a church that can make your decision. You have to make your own decisions. But it seems to me, and I grew up a long time ago, I came to the Lord as what I call the old school. Back when we were more into studying and investigating and learning the meaning of things, which is probably why the foundation got so firm as we went through life and didn't waver much. But I have found as we have progressed through the days and years from 30 years ago, that there is more and more uncertainty in our church about the absoluteness, the surety of healing, divine healing. You know, if you don't believe in divine healing, you'd have to believe in divine sickness. But I believe that God does heal. Not that he has and he might again, but that he does. He absolutely does. But I'm convinced of that. That doesn't mean everybody else is convinced of that. But there are many things that have happened. Again, I say we know the Lord has. We know he can. We all know how to read. We've read that. It's been preached to us. It's been shoved down your throat, as some would criticize us for. And yet, here we are 30, 40 years, 50 years later, maybe, and it's still a big issue. It's still not only a big deal in the church and amongst us, we still talk about it a lot. We still wonder about it a lot. It's still a national issue, health insurance, health care, the cost of it, even failures in the medical world. This sort of clouds the whole picture. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. Exodus chapter 15 and verse 26, God said, If you will diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord your God and will do that which is right in his sight, he'll show you, but it's still your choice. And if you will give ear to his commandments and will keep all his statutes, God said, I will put none of the diseases upon thee which I have brought upon the Egyptians for, he said, I am the Lord who heals you. It's plain, isn't it? God stands before, let's call it his old covenant people, back in another age. 
stands before a people who were totally unlearned, just brought out of bondage. They've been in Egypt making bricks and pyramids, and they know nothing. God only told them that his name is I Am. We're following I Am. And everything was new. And he says, if you will hearken, if you will give me your attention, if you'll listen, if you'll pay attention to what I'm saying, God said. And if you will not only hearken, but he said, if you will give ear, it's the same thing. And you will do what I have commanded you to do. Here's what I will be to you. I will be the Lord who heals you. And as I have understood, that's a covenant name. That's one of the several names that God defined himself by. I'll be your doctor. I'll be your shepherd. That's another name, a covenant name. I'll be your righteousness. That was another name. I'll be your peace. That was another name. God declared to his people, this is who you're following. This is who has brought you out of darkness and delivered you and gave you liberty and has set you free from bondage in the Egyptians. Now, you're all difficult people, he said. You're not, of course, but they were. And he brought them all to himself. And he said, now, I want you to know me. Let me define myself to you. I'm the one who will bring you peace. There are conditions for peace. But if you will meet those conditions, you'll have peace. I will be your shepherd. There are conditions for him being a shepherd, but I'm willing to be your shepherd. I'll lead you to still waters, green pastures. If you go through the valley of the shadow, you won't fear. There won't be any consternation and falling apart because I'm going to define myself to you and show you who I am because sickness is so prominent in all ages. Pain and sickness and illness has always been here. I personally will see to it that I will be your doctor. I don't know how much emphasis they put on that, but look over in chapter 23, 23 and verse 25. He said, and you shall serve the Lord your God, and he shall bless your bread and your water, and I will take away sickness from the midst of thee. Now, I'm going to ask you a question this morning. Did he mean it? And, but you will also admit this. We don't see that kind of evidence in any church. I haven't seen that fulfilled. We talk like that. Those are our reactions, our comments to this. That's good. I mean, I read that too, but where has there ever been a time in which there was sickness removed from the midst of the church? I could ask you. I could come back and say this. When has there been a time when everybody in the church met all of his conditions with a glad and joyful heart? We're so busy, we forget half of them. But then we blame him for not being what he said he was. And yet he says, I am who I say I am. What I said I will do, I do. He said, I will remove all sickness from the midst of you. i tell you this. I want all sickness removed from my midst. I want no plague, no illness. I want no pains in my house. I don't. Not because I'm like anybody else that would like to live like that, but because I know that that is a promise that God said he would fulfill. The fulfillment of it brings me joy, and it blesses God. And if it pleases God for me to be well, I want to be well. All my life, I learned how to be sick, put up with pain and go. I mean, we've all done it. Wouldn't it be nice to have all of that as an enemy that has been defeated? Look at Deuteronomy 7 and verse 15. It started up in verse 12, but we'll come back later on to verse 12. Verse 15, he says, And the Lord will take away from thee all sickness and any disease, all disease. The Lord will take away from you all sickness and will put none of the evil diseases of Egypt which thou hast known. He will not put any of those upon you, but he'll lay them on your enemies who hate you. 
well, I'm not so big on putting on my enemies and hating them. That's what he said he would do. But I'm all for that part, really all for the part about being free from it. Let me ask you, Squid, if you had the choice of being sick or being well, what would you pick? Well, duh. And what if God promised you this? What if God said, here's a promise that I will make to you that only I, as God, can keep. There is no medical system, invention, creation known to man or will ever be known to man that can say, I will always heal you. This will always work. Only God can say that. The finest in the medical world will say, well, you know, you never really know. But we have a lot of confidence in this compound or this invention or this drug or whatever, and we're going to try it, and we believe it'll work, but we're not going to guarantee you that it'll work. So don't get your hopes all the way up. But God says get your hopes all the way up. The world does its best because the world is sick, not only spiritually but physically. And the world needs help. It can't turn to God because it doesn't believe in God. And sadly, the church is having struggles with the same thing. We're more and more happy and pleased and relieved that people are going to the doctor instead of trusting God. Oh, Joel has an accident. He runs a tube before through his body. I believe it wasn't really a tube before. I'm exaggerating just a bit, but allow me. You know, he had a serious injury with a piece of wood in his body. It could have been really bad. And... Well, where is he? Well, he's believing God. He's resting. Now, somebody would say, you mean he's not going to go? They say, wait a minute now. How many years have you been taught what we ought to do? Well, you mean to tell me? You mean he's not going to? No. People have said to me through the years, you know, the thing that bothers me about you people is you all don't believe in doctors. Well, I believe in doctors. Yeah, I believe in doctors. I believe in cars and trees and hamburgers and shoes. <laughs> I know all of that exists. But if you're asking me, who do I choose to trust? Put it that way. Are you one of those people that choose to trust in God? And I'd say, I hope so. Are you one of those people who choose not to? Well, there's another sermon I'm trying to avoid in Jeremiah chapter 8. Don't turn there. I don't want to lose you. It had to do with God's reaction to people who had rejected the word yet confessed. The word of God is with us. What's going on here isn't right. And God said, what wisdom is in people like this? And yet, if you lack wisdom to know what God wants, you have to believe when you ask that he's going to give it. Wisdom is knowing what God wants you to do. It's knowing the right way to go. Wisdom. But anyway, back to where we were. There are just a lot of people that struggle with a lot of things. We've had and we are having our share of struggles in this assembly, this group, church, with sickness and pain and difficulty. It's been a difficult year for some of you. And the year isn't even over yet. Been some things happened that weren't supposed to happen. We didn't think what happened. You know, things are still going on. They haven't gone away. The devil is a tyrant. You know that? Disease is a tyrant. When it comes in, it comes in with all of its worldly acceptance. Everybody accepts disease. They all look for it. They plan for it. They insure themselves for it. Insurance doesn't keep it from coming. It just says we'll be able to pay for it when it does happen. But, you know, and the world tells you, you know, you're going to die in a hospital. You can be sure of that. You're going to have this. And, or as the advertisements say, when you reach a certain age, this is going to happen. Of course, I'm listening to that, you know, as a feeble-minded, religious, right-wing nut. I listened to that, and I said, who told me that that must happen? Who has said I must or we must have such a condition in our life because somebody in the world said it, because some medical whodunit said it? Therefore, it has to be because educated people have researched this and they go by what they see and what they feel, and therefore this is the conclusion, and we're all going to have to go. Who said that? 
What's wrong with what God said? I am the Lord that heals you. What's wrong with that? And yet, people today, well, I prayed. I've been praying about this condition in my body or in my child or in my husband, wife, or my friend or a member of the church. We've laid hands on people. We've sent an anointed cloth or we've done this and we have confessed and we have cleaned, we have bound, we have loosed. We've done everything that I can think of that we've ever been taught that we're supposed to do. And the disease is still a tyrant. Tyranny still reigns in the body. It's still racked with pain and disease and discomfort. Maybe it's that, just discomfort. I want the part that says, with long life, I will satisfy you. That's a promise. And yet so little of it prevails. We're beginning to wonder. Maybe we've been mistaught or maybe a little bit misled or off-center a little bit with this thing. Like the world has taught us. You know, God could heal. We know that. God has healed. We know that. But you can't presume there was a book once called Faith or Presumption. You cannot presume that God will heal you because you have read in the Bible that he heals you. He may not want you to be healed. He may get the glory from your impairment. That may be the way he's glorified in your life. Who taught that? What chapter is that in? Well, the scoffers in the world say, oh, yeah, that's a conclusion that any wise man would reach. No, it's not. No, it is not. People are starting to say, when's the last time you saw a miracle? When's the last time you saw an eye or a teeth? That'd be nice. Or a tooth miracle or an eye miracle or a limb miracle or an inward body miracle. Come on, you know as well as I do, certain things are always going to be that way. They're never going to change. It's good that you believe and you hold fast and you confess and you give us a testimony in church. Well, I believe God. I'm going to have this restoration of my body. And yet there's something in your mind that's like a little tyrant that's coming there and said, you know, that's never going to happen. That's never going to happen. You know it's not going to happen. When has it ever happened? When has it ever happened? It happened in the days of Jesus. Well, yeah, it had to happen then. Everything like coming out of Egypt, everything was new. They had to have some sensational recognition of who they were following, like Jesus. Wow. And he's the one. I mean, he was identified with all those signs and wonders, and therefore he had to do all these miraculous healings so people would know who he was. But today, uh -huh, what about today? Well, today he doesn't have to do that because now we have in the world, you know, there are medicines and there are procedures and there is this and there is that that do what he did. Now, where, God help us, did you read that? Who told you that? That came out of the wisdom of man. That certainly didn't come from the wisdom of God. Who told us that God no longer does miracles? Who said that? What kind of information did those people have that they were able to impart to you or to us? What kind of conversations have we been having that's produced fear and uncertainty and doubt about what God said? Why don't we just let God be God? Let him come and walk in here and reign in here and walk through these aisles and enter into your life and in your home and let him just enrich everything and let him be God instead of wondering, well, I don't know you could, but I, there's too much of that going on, too many people talking like that. I have found myself entertaining some of the same thoughts. Questions, you know, some of those who taught us faith as well as has ever been taught died sick. We've had people come here and preach to us. They taught the message of faith. They were big on it. They all died sick. Huh. Well, maybe that means we've missed it. 
Or do we assume that if you preach this message, then it has to happen for you, regardless of whether you meet conditions or not? Do you believe that even the, the best teacher in the whole world about a subject like faith could miss it somewhere and get out of whack somewhere with God that you don't know a thing about and, and invite problems in their life? Do you think there could be something that could, like chastisement that could come into the, the master teacher's life? A disobedience of some sort that we don't know about? No, no. We don't let God be true. We think, well, he taught everything and he died. Therefore, I don't know about this message. I'm going to side with God this morning. I'm going to get on God's side. I'm going to say every one of them, my friends, they all missed it somewhere. Let God be true. God cannot lie. There's no lying in God. He's true. I would like to take myself to the proverbial woodshed and wear myself out for giving thought to the fact that God may not have meant what he said. Even though we have read some of these promises, he might not have meant what he said. And now there's a fear that if something happens and you only had God to trust, oh, you'd die for sure. You better go to the doctor with that. This is the big one. You better leave God out of that. You know what? I don't know about you. I know these are real questions. I don't want to live like that. I would like to know that at the end of my life, just like you could say at the end of your life, if anything in those days will ever be allowed to written on a gravestone, they could write he kept the faith or she kept the faith. We might have had struggles through our lives. I've had my share. I know you've had yours. But I know in my heart that God cannot lie. And if God has said he will do something, he will do it. I don't care who you laid hands on, who you prayed for, who you bound and loosed and, and confessed over, and they were nothing bettered. I know there's something that was not right. And I'm going to say that God is true. Let God be true and every man a liar. And more and more in the church, the medical world is more sensible. It's becoming to be more sensible. And again, let me say this. I'm not against all of that. I know that there are people who would be dead today if it hadn't have been for some of the things that they did or, or went through. There's a dying world out there that has no options. The only option they have for disease or sickness or injury or something come up in their body, only option they have is God. They can't turn to God in the Bible. They can pray, and they always do, but it doesn't work. And they say that later on, well, I prayed, and it didn't work. So they just take their chances, and they go to do the best they can with what's offered, and that's all they got. I'm glad they can get some relief. I am. But for us as redeemed people, God has given us something better. Now, whether you believe it or not, I don't know, but God has given us something better than what the world has. God has given it to us because he loves us. He has said, I chose you, I brought you to me, and then when I brought you to me, I introduced myself to you in various ways. And one of those ways was, I'm going to be your doctor. I'm going to be your healer. One of the kings of Israel, you remember Asa? In the 29th year of his reign, the Bible said he was diseased in his feet. And you look back a little bit. Some things he had did prior to that was, could have been an open door to why. He had never been diseased in his feet before, but suddenly he was. And you look back, was well, probably because of what we said before that. But he was diseased in his feet, and the Bible said, yet in his disease he sought not to God, but to the physicians. And he died. Or the woman that spent all that she had had on the physicians in Jesus' day, and was nothing better. But when she turned to God, she got totally healed. Well, I turned to God too, somebody says, and I, you know, my condition got worse, and I'm no better, and, and so on and so forth. 
I'm just saying to me it's disturbing. After all these years, 30 plus years, it's disturbing to sense, just to sensing that people are finding more relief going to something besides just trusting God and walking it out and going through the difficulties and all of that because logic and reason trained by the world says, well, what's wrong with an aspirin? What's wrong with a shot? And they look at me and say, are you nuts? And I could come back and say, you know, what's wrong with God? Why not trust God? Is he so bad that we complain about him? Has he deceived us to where we can't stand to hear this anymore? Have we been deluded by the Lord in thinking that he will do something when it's obvious that he's not doing all these things that we read in the word here? So, you know, you run to the world. But let me tell you something about the medical world. And again, I'm not against those people. I'm really not. I think some of the people that I have met, some of the doctors and some of you have been there and we visited and talked, they're good people. They're nice people. They try very hard and they know they're not going to get paid for it, but they do their job anyway. You've got to respect that. You have to have respect for that. So I'm not against those people. I'm really not. But I really am for God. I'm a right-wing God person. How's that? I'm not a God person leading to the left. Well, you know, God didn't raise a stupid. Well, I, I would just rather lean to the right and say that if God said it, that he will do it. But the fact of the matter is, not even the medical world is a sure thing. Do you believe mistakes are ever made at the highest echelons of the medical world and the best hospitals in the world with some of the best doctors. Do you think they ever make mistakes? Okay, then if they ever make a mistake, then there's a chance that you could be one of those mistakes. I Googled this up in my tedious attempts at Googling. And I know with a little better understanding of how to do it, I could have found better sites to get information from than some information I want to give to you. But this is some of the things that I have found about that. And the only thing I'm doing is contrasting the fact that people say, well, you know, you know, God said he would, but he might not. Well, the medical world tries its best, but they can't always do it either. They make mistakes. Well, to err is human. It is. They will tell you that, to err is human. In fact, they had a publication. Somebody in 1991, the Institute of Medicine published this famous to err is human report, which dropped a bombshell on the medical community by reporting that up to 98,000 people a year die because of mistakes in hospitals. Now, if you're one of the 98,000, you're on my side now. But 98,000, somebody goes in with, well, one case, one man died two weeks after receiving the heart and lungs of a patient whose blood type was not the same. Well, how could you have something? Well, it happens. I mean, every room in the hospital is full. They change their nursing routines. They got all these Different drugs, they have to go to this room and that room, and, and then you come another shift comes in, and they have to keep that up. You can make mistakes. They're not superhuman people. They're human people, and they make mistakes. And if you're there, they could do that with you. Oh, no, I rebuke that. Well, you might not be able to rebuke that. But let me read on. Here's one man who had a healthy kidney removed by mistake. That wouldn't be terrible. Or a cardiac surgeon had a bypass on the wrong patient. Well, here's one who removed the wrong leg of a patient. That'd be terrible. Or here's one who operated on the wrong side of a patient's head. How could you get that wrong? Well, that happens all the time. You know, doctors are busy. They're probably busy and they're probably tired. They have a long day, a routine. They get up early and... 
sometime towards the end of the day. I mean, they don't go look at the patient and study him. They come in, they do their ready, and they come in and say, all right, uh, this patient here, we're going to okay. And you can get the wrong one. They did every now and then, just sometimes they get the wrong one. Take the wrong eyeball out of the wrong person, remove the wrong limb, the wrong kidney. If it was you or if it was your child or your mate, you would be upset. How could this happen? Hospitals can make mistakes. In fact, that part about to err is human. It was followed up by a study in the current issue of the Journal of Patient Safety, and it said that the number of those hospital mistakes may be much higher. Between 210 and 440,000 people die every year because of a mistake that was made. Now, you make a mistake in a hospital, the world's only option, tough, sorry. You make a mistake as a Christian, they want to come down on you like your nature's waste. They're all over you. Now, you know that going in. I am not only a minority in the world, I'm a nano minority. It takes a microscope to find some of us. So it's easy to pick on us, point their fingers at us, call us names and trash us. I mean, out here in the corner of town in this little dumpy building, you know, we must be um, Pentecostal tongues talkers, you know, run around the building type, you know, poor souls. What do they know? You know that coming in. If I want to have the approval of the world out there and the society, I'm going to get in a big church where they don't believe anything. I'm going to get in as big of one as I can, disappear in it, where I'm pretty much free to do whatever you want to do. Nobody's going to criticize you. But, you know, we've chosen. I have. You came along, you're here. But I have chosen, as best I know how, to live on God's terms. One of the things that you have to do is to cope with divine healing. Your body, this thing here that we're in, that God made, it puts you in it, that he wants to abide in himself. I mean, he made this thing. This is a world full of disease and sickness and viruses and germs everywhere in the world. In the last days, it's going to be awful. We might see the beginning of it now with Ebola. I don't know. And here we are. What will we do with our life? How will we live it? Will we live in fear? We'll be, be afraid to go there, eat that, drink that, or be around that, because if we do, this might happen or that might happen. God didn't teach us to be afraid like that. He said, you walk through the valley where death is, you won't have any fear. You'll start rebuking all of this fear talk. I don't think anybody in here says, oh, I've got a handle on all this. I know where. Listen, I think every day of your life is a new day to walk with God. And when something comes up, you bow your head and you humble yourself before your source. That's God. Amen. Nobody can stand up and say, oh, come on. And you don't do that. You just say, Father, I'm trusting you. I'm counting on you to do what you said. Amen. If, as I quoted a while ago, first 210 to 440,000 hospital deaths a year or medical errors made by the hospital. This one article said that would make medical errors a third leading cause of death in America. I'm just reading what I read. The third leading cause of death in America is a hospital? I don't think it was intended to be like that. I don't think nobody planned that. I just think that to err is human. You know, Bonnie... One time she wanted to have a baby at home. I thought, ah, 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 ah. no, no, I don't, no. I don't know, no. So I asked her, it's her body, my wife. I said, why? Why do you not want to go the way... The other five, why would you not want, I mean, this is me. Now, I'm all for the healing thing. I'm just not real big on the birth thing. I promise you this, those people know a whole lot more about what they're going to do than what I would have to do if I was the one who had to do it because, uh, I, no, 
And she said, you know, the last time I went to the, as Norton's in Louisville when St. Sarah was born, the last time we went to the hospital, they did this and they told you're going to have this and this is a problem. That could be a problem. You know, blood types are different and the children could be born with the need of a blood transfusion you know, and this and, and, and boy, you better do this. And she said, my head was so full of fear. Listen to me. My head was so full of fear that I would have let them do whatever they wanted to do so that wouldn't happen to me. And let me tell you something, fear is a tyrant too. Because when fear comes in, he tries to threaten you with all the things that are going to happen to you if you don't do it another way. So you let another way have control in your life because you're afraid. And she said, I don't want to do that. I don't want to have to be told that and people running around and, you know. And I remember that one same physician that delivered her, delivered Sarah. He wanted to do an amniocentesis. He wanted to do a check on the condition of the fluid in the embryonic sac to see if there might be a problem here after the birth to do a blood transfusion, the positive and negative blood types that we have. He said, I want your husband to come in here. So we were in the office, and I came in there, and Bonnie was sitting here, and he was sitting over there, and I came in, and he said, Mr. Hamilton, I'd, uh, I want you to help me talk your wife into doing this procedure. And I'm thinking, well, you're going to, I'm wrong one. I'm the wrong one here, bud. But being as you have elevated me to a position of authority, all right, what do you want me to do? Well, I want to do this and do that, and she doesn't want me to do it. And I said, and I did, I said this. These may not be the exact word, but this is what I said. All we want you to do is catch it and tie it, and we'll take it home. And I remember him sitting there. He leaned back. He was a professing Christian. He leaned back in his chair and he said, you know, I've done this for many years. He said, that's the first time I've ever heard that. <laughs> I was kind of proud of myself. I'm getting like Bonnie, man. I'm <laughs> said, we just want you to catch it and we want you tight. We'll pay you for it and take it home. Thank you very much. And he laughed. He thought, well, okay, okay. And, of course, it turned out fine. See, it doesn't seem like it is because of fear. Fear opens you up to whatever fear wants to do with you. It'll keep you from eating, going places, walking, drinking, sleeping at certain... Oh, fear, you know. And so when fear rules you, God can't. Do y'all hear me? When fear rules your life, God cannot. Because that's a choice you make as to... If you will hearken, if you will give ear, if you will do, then all these things will happen to you. But let me spend the rest of this morning, this time we have before we take communion, talking about the conditions. When it comes to divine healing, there are two ways that we face. One is the world. We've been talking about that, the medical world and what it offers but, you know, even the modern church will tell us that, that our message, when we reject that, when we say, well, I'm glad you have all your procedures and your places of doing it and, and all your, your staff and well-educated people, but I have a better choice that I want to make. And so we say, the reason I don't want to do that is because I believe that God meant what he said. And just as they say in the world, sure as shooting, you know, it won't be long until somebody says, you know, your message is condemning. Your message is condemning. Because you're talking to people that have had, even this year, medical, this, this, and that, and now they feel like they're inferior. That's not what I'm about. I didn't tell anybody you're inferior. We've all made mistakes. We've all had our moments. We've all been places we wish we hadn't have been. It doesn't mean we stay there. We recover, we regroup, we come back, we go to the Lord, we bow our head and, and, and get it right. There's never been a time when we've made mistakes and we're doomed because of that one mistake. God shows us our flaws and our weaknesses and things about us that we didn't know or fears that we didn't know and he shows them to us. But he doesn't leave us there. He keeps pounding away at our headpiece or our minds. 
to make us aware of the fact that, look, this is your problem. That's an open door. This is how you fix it. Yeah, but, you know, I messed up. I know you messed up. Quit living in the past. Get on your feet. Dust yourself off. Bow your head and, and, and repent and go on. Don't quit. What do you have if you quit? You got nothing. Yeah, but this message, you know, all these people that tried all of this and all these people that failed and all this kind of stuff, it's only led to condemnation, rejection, and falling away. Well, then let's change. Time out. Let's change what we preach. Let's say this. You know, God can heal, but he may not want to. Therefore, you should get insurance and get ready because when sickness comes, then you'll be able to deal with it. But see, the problem with that is that's not the Bible. That's not what the scripture says. Let's say that God failed. He said he would, but he obviously didn't. Look in here at the number of cases that didn't work. Did he fail? Let's just say that God didn't want to because we don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. I don't want to condemn anybody. Oh, no, nothing wrong with you. There's something wrong with God. I don't think I'm willing to say that. I'm a right winger when it comes to God. I'm going to say the right. I don't understand all the things that happened to any of us or to my mother or my father or my brother or my family or your family or, or Brother Freeman and Brother Menard and Brother Ida and some of the other, Brother Frazier. These were dear brothers to me. I mean, next of kin almost. I knew all of those men. I did not struggle with any of them. I didn't say, oh, no, what's happened here? I knew this. Maybe it's just all these years of standing fast. You didn't die that way because God let you down. God did not fail. There was something that we don't know about, something that we couldn't accept, that we don't know about, that God knew about. There's things that God had in his mind that opens these doors and causes things to happen. I keep saying, let God be true. Amen. The death of the greatest theologian I've ever known hasn't changed a thing in my life. I've never yet said, oh boy, if it didn't work for him, how can I know it'll work for me? That's not what the Bible teaches. The basis of my faith is not any man. God uses men to teach. But the word that is taught, you search the scriptures to see if what they taught is true. And if it's true, you give God the glory. Now, they taught it and died. Well, that doesn't change a word. If everybody in this room just fell over dead, every one of you just pop. Boy, that'd be tough to print up in the paper, wouldn't it? He killed the whole church. If everybody in here fell over dead, the word is still true. It can't change. This is the truth. Well, it's on a, on a delicate subject. This is the truth. Well, then you think we should all just throw away all of our medicine? No, I never said that either. I don't know what's in anybody's heart. What's in your heart is a matter of your personal conviction based on your personal relationship with God. I may throw away mine. I remember the first time Bonnie and I heard in living color, not a tape, but we heard Brother Freeman preach years ago. Presbyterian Church in Louisville, Kentucky, all 22 or three of them that was in the room. We get home at night, and Bonnie's in the bathroom and getting ready to go to bed, I guess, in there, and she's gurgling down those cough syrups and medicines and things like that for allergies, antihistamines, and there's just gurgle, gurgle, gurgle. You know, we don't have a lot of money to do this. What are you doing? Well, if we're healed, we're healed. See, to me, it came like that. That's the way I got it. I thought, you know, if he said, I am, I am. Therefore, I am. Therefore, I will act like I am. And right away, there comes a test and a trial. And there's a conflict, a war between the war of what you feel and what you think uh, and the war of what you just learned. There's this struggle that takes place. 
And yet, in my life, it was just God. It had to be God, but God won. And then we got talked about in the church. You should have heard some of the stuff they said about us. If it wasn't about healing, it was about casting out demons. Casting out who? And the talk intensified. And here's this Christian church on the corner of all these community pillars and all the important people in our town. A lot of them were in our church. And then they got this going on in their church. And people in town are talking about their church and the people in their church that are doing this kind of stuff, speaking in tongues and casting out demons. Oh, how embarrassing it was for the Word of God to be working. How embarrassing it was for God's Word to take effect in people in a church. Just embarrassed people in the town. Fear rules about what people think about us. We don't want people to think bad, so we modify our lives. We modify our beliefs. We modify our Christianity so that we're everything people want us to be because we're afraid of the consequences of not being the way people want us to be. And we back away from things like divine healing because we're scared. Now, when God approaches us, you see, there's two ways we're going to get healed. One is the medical world, and the other one is God's way. And God, like we just started out with our scripture in Exodus, when God begins to come to you to heal you, he brings information. In other words, he brings God identity. He identifies himself to you. One of the great ways he identified himself to me that promotes faith, that is obviously, that'll do right there, is Numbers 23, 19. Look at it. Numbers 23, 19. Just go back from Deuteronomy there, one book. He said, God is not a man that he should lie. Now, let me ask you a question. Can God lie? Say no. Can he mislead you with information from himself? No. He can close your eyes and your mind from understanding what he said. Are you with me? You could have ears to hear but not hear what he said. You could hear what the world is saying, but you wouldn't hear what God said because a natural man can't. You can see what image is before you, but if it's not the one God is painting, you can't see what he's saying. He says here, God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should say one thing. Well, I didn't really mean that and take it back. He, he's not like that. If he said it, notice two things. If he said it, what? If he spoke it, he'll make it good. Didn't he say that? That's the basis for my faith, standing here this morning. On the basis of that, I choose to relate to God whom I cannot see. All I've got is printed matter. This is the word that's been given to me, and this is the form of Bible. I read that. I choose to see God like that, that when he speaks, he never misleads. And what he said, he meant it the way he said it. He did not have to go back and re-say it. This word is forever settled in heaven. And just as he is the Lord that changes not, his word will never change. The flower fades, the grass withers, but the word of God will abide forever. And the one who said it said this. He said he watches over his word to perform it. Remember that? He said he watches over his word to perform it. He does. He said, my word won't return empty because I didn't send it out empty. It's not an empty word in Isaiah 55. It's a word that contains life. The church doesn't want it because it's afraid of it. But the word is life. It brings health. Proverbs 4 produces health in your life. The Word does. He said in Psalm 107, 20, He sent His Word and healed them. His Word. Because He that spoke the Word says, I'm not a man that alive or the Son of Man that I should repent. If I've said it heals, it heals. If I send it to heal, when it comes, it heals. It may not heal everybody, but it'll heal those who believe it. It won't heal those who are afraid of it. 
but it will heal those that believe it. He reveals himself as the unlimited, sovereign, almighty, omnipotent, omnipotent, omniscient, omniscience, omnipresence. He is God without limits. And here I stand, a microscopic speck on this earth, needing just a a piece of that bread, just a crumb from heaven, a little crumb. That's all I need from what you got. If you give me that, my, I'll be whole. Matthew 8, what does centurion say? You don't need to come to my house. You speak the word only and my servant shall be healed. Where's that today in the church? Well, that was, brother, in the time of Jesus, all those sensational things. Remember that? Yeah, I remember all of that. Also, remember what we have said. I am the Lord, I change not. If he said it then, he says it today. If he spoke it back then, it speaks the same thing today. All of his promises are yes and amen. Those are promises made then. The same promises are for us today. I mean, that's just the way it is. Yeah, but this is the church age. You see, in the church age, those other ages have given way now to the church age, which is now a little bit different. Is it? Let me see. In the church age, these signs shall follow those who believe. What sign? Well, one of the things is they'll lay hands on the sick, and the sick might recover. Said they will recover. He put gifts of healings in the church age. Are gifts of healings in the church? Or you say, well, I've never seen it. It doesn't matter if you've seen them or heard. They're there. There's reasons, but they're there. And yet in the church in which all the gifts were present, in 1 Corinthians 14, there were many there who were weak and sickly. What about that? All because of their attitude towards each other was keeping all of that from working. Their attitude, their thought processes, the way they were processing and focusing and their struggles with each other was preventing them from being well. Could it be that way today with anybody? It certainly could, but no, and with us, we've got God up there. You know, if you said you got to do it and we're down here, you know, we got a Bible with us and we quote the Bible and we listen to this every week, therefore it has to work. What about the rest of your life? You got the divine healing scriptures down pretty pat. How about holiness? How about loving your brother as yourself? How about commitment to a local church? You got that one? Well, now you're condemning me, I imagine. I would think you would say that. What do you say in Psalm 103? Forget not what? All of his benefits. You know what the very first one he said was? He forgives you of your sins, of your iniquities. Now you can relate to God. You know what the second one is in the same verse? Same verse. He heals all your diseases. Is this a church age that God forgives sins? More so now because of the blood of Jesus. The death and resurrection of Jesus made it more so. But the promise applies in, as it applied then, it applies today. He forgives all of our sins and heals all of our diseases. Well, I am I get healed. Well, it, you need to spend some time alone. Go to James 1 so we can close. James chapter 1. Conditions. Conditions. Verse 5, he said, if any man lacks wisdom. Boy, I'm trying not to go back to Jeremiah 8. There was a way of God's people, an indifference, a rejection of his way. And God said, what wisdom is in these people? Oh, they're doing all these nifty things. None of it's right. None of it's right. Summer is gone and the harvest is gone and the summer is past. And he goes on to say at the end of that chapter, and we're not saved. 
He said, look at my people. The wound of my daughter has not been healed. She's sick. It shouldn't be like this. After all this time and all these years, see, I told you I'm trying to stay away from it. And she's no better. What wisdom have they been setting in front of? Who's been talking to these people? They have no deep interest in my word other than to say, you know, we got the Bible and we quote it. That's all they got. He said, what wisdom is in these people? And he said in James 1, 5, do you lack wisdom? You really want to know what's right, any of you? You really want to know without a shadow of a doubt, narrow it down to God only and what God only wants? Well, ask him. Ask him what to do. Ask him for wisdom or anything else. Because he's a giving God. He gives to all men liberally, not braideth not. But he said in verse 6, but let him ask how? Ask in faith. Faith. F-A-I-T-H. It was a major truth 40 years ago. It is still a major truth. There is no time in what's left of history that this won't be a major truth and the single major condition that God responds to in the church. And without this, there is nothing. Just form and format. You don't think so? Look, look at verse 7. You know, verse 6, it talks about a man that wavers. If he asks in faith, but he doesn't believe, he wavers back and forth and he doubts. What does verse 7 say? Let not what? Let not that man think that he shall receive what we're talking about today in the church with so much people that are just forlorn and, and empty. And maybe it's not you, maybe it's others. But just this little thing creeping in. And it's ruining your faith because it's, it, it, fear is beginning to reign and fear is a faith killer. Oh, it's a tyrant. It's an abusive ruler. It's what a tyrant is. This is the key. We're going to talk about it more in the next few weeks. I think i got another series I want to do, but it's going to be looming before us as you got to hear it again. Amen. Faith. Faith is me willing, with my will, faith is me willing to count on God to do what God said. I have to ask myself, if I am unwilling to just count on God to do what God said, why is that? Not blaming the preacher or the tapes or yesteryear, get in my little room by myself and ask me, why am I afraid to trust God? What is my great fear? What is it that bothers me about Casting the whole of myself over on God. What is it that God can't fix? Can he fix your eyes? That doesn't mean you believe it, but you know that he can. Can he fix your teeth? Wouldn't that be nice? Whew. Can he fix your teeth? How do you know? He doesn't say in the Bible he'll fix your teeth, but he does say Mark eleven twenty four. what things soever, didn't he? Where are you with it? It's up to you. There's no requirement that you believe the way I believe or anybody else believes, but you've got to believe something. So James chapter 1, verse 7, he says, Let not that man think that he shall receive anything from God. Why? Because he's double-minded. He's ruled by fear and logic and reason of the world and what people think. And then he tries to be ruled by the plain, simple word of God. Such a simple thing as opposed to the conglomerate of the world and its systems. And you know between you and them, this thing is to make you fearful of trusting God. Oh, what would happen to me if I trust? What if I, what if it came, what if? What if? What if I lost a real good job because I had a snaggle tooth? Oh, my goodness, what would I do? Oh, I guess you'd just look for another job, wouldn't you? What if I came limping into the office of the 
guy that hires, he said, what's wrong with you? And I said, nothing. I'm by the stripes of Jesus. I'm healed. <laughs> you lost that job. We don't want Jesus in this place. We don't want your kind of people in this place. We don't want that kind of faith in this place. There's no room in the world for that kind of faith, only in the church. So, let not that man think that he shall receive anything from God. Why? Listen, this is the condition, folks. This, I didn't write any of this. I just read it. He said, let not that man think that he shall receive anything from God, being a double-minded man who is what? Let me ask you a question. Would instability be a reason things aren't working for us? Would being unsure and perhaps a little complaining about it be a reason that it's not working? What do you say? Let not that man think that he shall receive anything from God. If you're not sure of that, you won't call for the elders of the church. Look over here in chapter 5. James chapter 5, is any among you sick? Verse 14. Is any among you sick? This is New Testament. This is church age right now, us. Is any among you sick? Let him call. Doesn't say let's all of us get together and go over and pray. It said let them call. Let those who are sick call for the elders of the church. Let them anoint them with all. And pray over them in the name of the Lord. And what does it say will happen? And what? And the prayer of faith shall heal the sick. What if one of those that prayed wasn't, you know, well, this is pretty advanced condition. I don't know if this is going to work. What if he prays? And he didn't pray the prayer of faith because faith is being sure. And he wasn't. See, this thing gets pretty detailed. After all these years, this is still the most interesting subject that I study. I still study it. I know a lot of verses of Scripture where it's used, but how it works and, and why it doesn't work and, and little detail. It's still the most interesting subject to me in the Bible. I guess I'm hung up on it. But it'd be a good place to be hung up because that's the only way we can please God is by faith. But he said, the prayer of faith will heal the sick. And if he have committed sins, what will they do? They will be forgiven him. And then what does he say? Confess what? Wait a minute. Is it possible then that our relationship or lack of it with each other or faulty relationships with each other has opened the door to not getting results from God? Of course it has. Of course it has. It certainly could. We don't want to major on that because we don't want to think that could be enough for us not getting what we want. Oh, sure. Come on now. We don't. No, no. Well, it could be. It certainly could be, folks. A man in the Bible picking up sticks on the Sabbath day to build a little fire, picking up sticks. There's not many in the desert. And he just looking around and find a few little sticks so he could build a little fire. And he, he, and he died for that. He was stoned. <laughs> what? Yeah. Don't think you can take God into your own hands and do things with him the way you want to. Honor and respect. Submission to God is a wonderful thing. It's an important thing. But he says you've got to hearken you got to be willing to do what he said, and you've got to be willing to keep his word. That's not much of a condition. Deuteronomy 7, 15, that wasn't a lot of condition. But those are some of the things that he said. There is nothing more important to us in this life as Christians that I can think of this morning. There's nothing more important for us than to get a hold of this message of faith and practice it. Why couldn't we cast the demon out, Jesus? Because of the littleness of your faith. Woman, great is thy faith. Go thy way. Thy daughter is healed. To blind me, be it unto you according to your faith. To the centurion in Matthew 8, as thou hast believed, be it unto you. Everything is on faith. 
Why couldn't we cast the demon out in Matthew 70? Because of the littleness of your faith. He called them his own disciples. Oh, perverse generation. Whew. Or about the fishes and the loaves. Remember that? And they were arguing about that. He said, how can you even think about that? Don't you remember? Have you already forgotten? Over and over and over again, God says things like that to us. But the answer, folks, the answer lies in the fact that you have a will. God made us with a will. And the truth of the matter is, I can trust God. I can draw back. I can hold the plow. I can let go of the plow. It doesn't mean because you grabbed it, because you're here, because you've learned, because you confess that it just works. You've got to stay with it. Doesn't the Bible say he that endures at least a couple of weeks shall be saved? Oh, to the end. This is not an easy life. There's a lot of people that are called to walk this way. Not all of them will be chosen. Why? Because they wanted to enter in, but the Bible says they couldn't. Things of this world, I imagine, held us back or held us down or we couldn't get rid of, couldn't repent of, couldn't forgive. I don't know. But I know this, that God is our doctor. God is our healer. I'm going to pray that every condition of everybody in this room that so far has not been responding to God and his word, that God's going to heal every one of you every single one of you, and restore you. Bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I call upon you as our God, our Creator, our Sovereign Lord and Master over all circumstances and over this body which you've made. Grant to us this day, beginning this hour, manifestations and healings from illnesses and diseases and sicknesses and impairments and problems that have happened in the residue of it. Anything and everything. Miracles of restoration, Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus for you to begin doing all of that. In the name of Jesus. I ask you to do that. And now, Lord, as we approach your communion table, let us remember that Jesus, our Lamb, bore our diseases and carried our pains by his stripes. Oh, Lord, we were healed. And if we were, then we are. Let it come to pass, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.